Well, it is certainly good to be in church on Sunday morning. It's like some of you just not really too sure. Let's just try it one more time. I know you weren't ready. Let's try again. It's certainly good to be in church on Sunday morning. Amen. And it is. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here and uh, glad that we can be here this week. I trust that you're planning to be here tonight at, is it six o'clock tonight? Be here tonight at six and then be here on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday at seven. And uh, we will have a wonderful, wonderful time in the word of God over the next few days. And uh, we, we did a, a new CD this last year and we're going to practice some of those songs on you. And so you don't want to miss that because you just don't know what might happen because uh, we don't know what might happen. And so you come and you'll be glad that you did. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of Mark, chapter number five. Mark, chapter number five. When you find that, if you're able to stand, would you stand with us as we read the word of God this morning? Mark, chapter number five. I'm going to begin reading in verse number one. And read several of, several of these verses, and then we'll get right into the message. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces." Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000. And were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. And had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. I want to preach to you on this subject this morning. Dear Jesus, please go away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful day you've given to us. Lord, thank you that we could be here in your house this morning and sing and rejoice together. Lord, thank you for the, the power of the cross that we heard about from the choir this morning. And God, today we just ask that you would have your hand in this service. And Lord, if there would be one here today who's lost without Christ, I pray they would see their need and be saved before it's too late. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, choir. I know you're scattered all around. 
Uh, they were all wound up this morning. That was just wonderful. And the, and the orchestra over here, that was just amazing. I wouldn't mind hearing that four or five more times in a row. And uh, that just, that was, that was wonderful. What a tremendous thought. Uh, the power of the cross and the chains of sin just gone. Amen. Here, here in Mark chapter 5, we find this familiar passage. We refer to the man as the maniac of Gadara. But in chapter 4, Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching and teaching and, and there are multitudes of people. And as the day draws to a close, the disciples, uh, Jesus instructs them to get the boat and get ready to go to the other side. And so they bring Jesus on the boat. He finds a comfortable place and he falls asleep. He's been preaching and teaching all day long and people all around. And I'm sure physically he's exhausted. And now finally there's a little bit of rest time and they head out across the Sea of Galilee. They're going to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes. In another passage it's referred to as the Gergesenes. It's the area of Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they're going across, night has fallen and suddenly the wind begins to kick up and the waves begin to roll and a storm comes. Now, these men in this boat are not first time sailors. Many of them are professional fishermen. They've spent their whole adult life and much of their childhood on this very body of water. They know what it looks like when a storm is coming and they know when a storm is going to pass by. And they know when it's a bad storm and you're in serious trouble. And in this particular case, in chapter 4, it's such a severe storm that the boat has taken on water and they are convinced they're going down and they're going to die. And in the middle of all that, they go and they find Jesus still asleep. And they wake him up and say, Master, we're going to die. Don't you even care about us? And Jesus does what Jesus does in the middle of a storm. You check it out. When you find Jesus in the middle of the storm, he does the same thing. He says, peace be still. The storm stops. And they're amazed and he rebukes them for their lack of faith. Now, get that in your mind. That's what's happened all night long. They've fought this storm all night long. They're exhausted. The adrenaline's been pumping. All of a sudden it stops miraculously and they're relieved and they're exhausted and they pull in to the other side and these disciples probably think the worst thing they're going to face is done. Now they can relax. They probably think there'll be people that come. Jesus will preach and teach. We can rest a little while for the return trip and all will be well. And as they get off the boat, someone sees them. It's a man that lives up on the hillside. He spends his nights up in the tombs. This man is in a terrible, terrible place. The Bible tells us that he is possessed by devils, a lot of devils. This man's life is a total disaster, so much so that he's lost his family, he's lost his home, he's lost his career, he's lost everything that he has, and he strips off all of his clothes and comes running through the town naked, and, and he cuts himself with stones, and he's got scars and blood all over him, and they've tried to restrain him. They've, they've bound him with chains, but he just breaks the chains. And they put fetters on him and, and he just breaks the fetters and, and they can't control him. And he's a terror to the entire community. And he spends his nights up on the hillside in the tomb screaming and cutting himself. 
And that man who's in this horrible condition. By the way, you don't get there overnight. You don't end up naked in the tombs cutting yourself overnight from, you know, checking out of work that afternoon and all of a sudden here you are in the tombs. No, this is a a lifelong process for this man of turning away from everything that is good and godly and right. And this is where it has finally led him to this very, to the very end of himself, to the point where he hasn't had a clear thought in years. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know, I hope when we get to heaven, brother, brother Carpenter, we can watch the replay. Because I'd like to know what this man saw from the hillside. Maybe he saw this storm that had come up and maybe he saw it miraculously stop and the sun come out and the boat pull up to the shore. I don't know. We do know, though, that he sees Jesus and the disciples getting out of the boat on the shore. And he has the first clear thought he's had in a long time. He looks down there and says, I think that man can help me. And so he starts making his way down. Now imagine, get the picture. Here are the disciples. They're exhausted. They're worn out. They've had the adrenaline rush. Now there's the, the, the drop and, and they're just ready to find a place to sit down and relax. And all of a sudden, they see somebody running down the hillside. He's naked. That's problem number one. He's, he's got scars and blood all over him. That's problem number two. He's been out there for who knows how long. His hair is all sticking out and matted and, and he just, he's an awful sight. And he's running down the hillside at them. And they realize the storm was not the worst thing they're going to face today. And they, they probably assume a defensive posture. You would think that they would. I mean, we're talking about real people here. So they probably said, Jesus, you get back there and let us head him off at the pass. And whether they picked up a stick or a club or a boat or whatever they did, they're ready now. If this guy gets too close and he's going to hurt the Savior, they're going to jump in there and they're going to help. And then Jesus, again, this is in the replay now. Jesus at some point tells them, let him through. Isn't that strange? And reluctantly, I'm sure they step aside. And they're still ready. They're still ready to tackle him if they have to. But Jesus said, no, let him come. And he's running down the hillside, maybe screaming. And he comes all the way down and slides right down the feet of Jesus. And next thing you know, he's worshiping Jesus. And Jesus says, he, he ascertains the problem and says, come out. And the devils say, no, don't, don't, uh, don't send us out. As a matter of fact, they make an unusual request. Now, this is a strange passage of Scripture. Because Jesus and the devils are talking to each other. And they said, after he told them to come out, they said, can we please stay in this country? Isn't that weird? Now, why in the world would the devils, they know Jesus is going to cast them out of this man, but they want to stay in that town. Do you suppose there are some places where the devil likes being more than others? Some places maybe where he has a little more freedom? a little more control, and he enjoys that. Well, I think that's what's going on here. And they said, we don't want to leave this country. We want to stay. And Jesus says, you can stay. And then they say, there's some pigs up on the hill. Can we go into the pigs? I told you a strange passage of Scripture. And the Bible says Jesus gave them leave. In other words, he said, yes, you can. Come out of this man, go into those pigs. Now, the the herd of pigs is about 2,000. So it would not be a huge stretch 
to guess that there, there could very well be a couple of thousand devils in this man. I mean, his life is a disaster. And they come out and they go into the pigs. And then the pigs immediately run down a steep place on the hillside, jump off the cliff and drown themselves in the Sea of Galilee. Strange, very strange. Why in the world, if you had just, if you just asked to go into the pigs and Jesus allows them to go into the pigs, why would you then destroy the pigs? Well, because quite honestly, all that the devil can do is destroy. He doesn't create anything. He doesn't make anything better. He makes everything worse with the intention of complete and total destruction. These devils have been in this man for a long, long time, and they've been able to destroy his family and his career and his life, but they have not yet been able to kill him. And so as soon as they come out of that man, they go into the pigs. Now think with me for a minute. How do you ruin a pig's life? I mean, you can't, you, you get him to leave his wife and kick his piglets and, and become a drunkard pig. Is that what I, I, I don't know. You see, there's not much you can do to a pig to ruin its life, but you can kill it. So as soon as they go into the pigs, they do the only thing that they can do to bring more destruction to those pigs. And that is run down the hillside and jump in the sea and drown themselves. Please remember, the devil does not have your best interests at heart. And whatever he's doing in your life is leading to destruction. That's all that he can do and all that he does. And so now we find this man who's been delivered. He's down at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. And the pig herders run into town and they say, you'll never believe what happened. This man is down there. He's got clothes on. He's talking normally. He's completely changed and all the pigs are dead. You better come see. And so the whole town runs out there to see what's going on. And sure enough, there he is. Now, again, if you're part of this town, I mean, you've been, you've been terrorized by this man for a long, long time. He's the biggest problem in town. Jesus has just solved the biggest problem in town. Would you not, first of all, regardless of whatever else you're going to do, would you not say to Jesus, thank you for solving the biggest problem in our town? Thank you for taking care. But they didn't. That, that seems counterintuitive to me. Now, it also seems that not only would they thank him for solving their problem, but then they might well ask him to stick around. They've probably heard of him. They know that he's a great teacher. They know that he heals the sick. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sick people in town, if there's some problems. And it would not have been unusual for them to say, can you come heal this person? Can you come solve this problem? But they didn't say that either. Instead, when they get there and they see the problem is solved, they look at Jesus and they say, go away. We don't want you here. Isn't that strange? Why in the world would these people who had just seen this miraculous thing happen and this crisis solved, why would they then say to Jesus, please go away? The same reason that people today tell Jesus to go away. Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. The dangerous thing about telling Jesus to go away is that in this passage, he goes away. That's a scary thought, is it not? They told him to go away and he got in the boat and he left. 
And the reason they told him to leave is the same reason today that people tell him to leave. First of all, they told him to go away because he reminded them of their sin. He reminded them of their sin. I'm sure they did not think of this man, this crazy man, if you will, as a sin problem. But when Jesus showed up, he revealed it for what it was. It wasn't an educational issue. It wasn't an economic issue. It wasn't some other social problem. It was the fact that there was sin in their midst and the devil had to be chased out. The sin had to be dealt with and they didn't want to think of it as a sin problem. I promise you they had just gotten used to the crazy guy in the tombs. Well, that's just who he is, and, and that's the way he lives, and he's made some choices in his life, and those are his choices, and they may not be the choices I'd make, but those are his choices, and so there he is. I'm sure there was somebody who said, well, you know, he was born that way. He was just born that way, and he had a natural tendency to end up that way, and so, you know, what are you going to do about it? There were probably others who said, well, you know, the problem was that he had a bad home life. And his father was too strict and his mother was overbearing and he got picked on in school and he was bullied and, and this and that. And that's why he ended up the way he is. And there were probably a million excuses. But when Jesus showed up, he didn't talk about any of that stuff. He said, the devil's here and the devil's got to go. There's a sin issue here. People don't like to think of their problems as sin. We like to rename them so that we don't have to admit that they're sin. The problem is if we don't admit their sin, then there's no fix for them. It's not until we admit that our problem is a sin problem that we can go to Jesus and find the answer for that problem. Oh, I'm sure there were a lot of excuses. There were a lot of reasons. But the real problem was a sin problem. Now, I'm getting old. I know some of you have been here a long time. And I was just thinking last night. The first time I was here was December of 1996. Brother Tangeman was much younger then. And that's, and I know some of you were not born in, I understand, in 1996, but you missed a lot if you weren't born yet. There was a lot of stuff that happened. So I'll be, I'll be 60 years old in August. Can you believe that, Brother Mark? 60 years old. I know your wife can't believe it. 60 years old. One foot in the grave, the other on a banana peel. I could be gone just like that. Just like that. 60. Some of you are not very sympathetic either. I can tell that. Yeah, uh-huh. Some of, you, some of you wish you were 60 years old. <laughs> but when, when I was a kid, and it's been a while back, I understand. When I was a kid, we had something in town that you don't have now. We had a drunk. We did. Lived just up the road, and we had to, we had to walk from our house out to, the, out to the highway to catch the school bus uphill in the snow both ways every day. It's the way we you know the you know the story just like you did, <laughs> and and you had to go past this house on the corner, and every kid in the neighborhood knew you don't go over there. That's where the drunk lives, and he's mean to his wife, and he's mean to his kids, and don't ever go in his yard because he'll come out and he'll scream at you and he'll holler at you, and just stay away from that house. And we had the drunk. We don't have those anymore. Now we have 
substance abuse issues that are much more socially acceptable. You know, you're just walking along, all of a sudden the substance jumps up and grabs you. And you gotcha. I'm smiling at you because you can't get mad at me when I smile at you. you. You know what that does? It relieves us of responsibility so that we don't have to look at our own condition and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. And I'm doing something God says I'm not supposed to do. It's sin. Let's go fix it with the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, as long as we're not willing to admit our sin is sin, we won't get it fixed. We've got to admit what it is. Uh, Today we've got all manner of foolishness and perversion going on. and, And we try to call it everything but sin. Now I'm going to say something that is just absolutely shocking. I know it's shocking, but hang on. And if, this, and if this is too much for you, just hold on till later. It'll get better later. There are only two genders. Amen. Male and female. You were born one of those. Now listen closely to what I'm about to say. I know that's not a popular thing to say. And I know that that qualifies as hate speech and it'll get you thrown off social media and all the rest. But somewhere along the line, somebody has to tell the truth. Because we can't just live pretending lies all the time. You were born one of those. Now, if you choose to live as the other one, you are living in rebellion against what God made you. And that is sin. That is a sin problem. And it can go back to mental disorders and emotional things. I know. But the end result, if you're choosing to live as the opposite of what God made you, you are living in rebellion against God and it's sin. And the only fix is to get the sin taken care of. And if you won't admit that that's what it is, you will never solve the problem and your life will not get better. You are on your way to the tombs and you don't want to end up there. And the only way to, to not end up there is to admit that it's sin before you get there and fix the problem. I understand how revolutionary that is to say such a thing. However, somebody has to say that out loud every once in a while. Because we have to admit that sin is sin. It's not a societal issue. It's not this or that. It is sin and it must be dealt with as sin. And when Jesus showed up and said, this man's problem is sin, they said, we don't want to hear that. Why? Well, because if that was sin, then some of the other issues we got might be sin too. And we don't want to deal with that. So let's just pretend that nothing is sin and we'll walk away from it. You say, well, I'm sure glad we don't have drunks and we don't have perverts in our, in our church. Well, God bless you. That's fine. Those of us who who got saved young and spent most of our life in church, we got plenty of things we don't like to admit is sin too. Things like pride, covetousness, bitterness. I promise you more churches have been split by bitterness than by having a drunk in the congregation. They have. And why does that happen? Because we don't admit that it's sin and fix it. If we call it something else and we call it a personality issue or we call it this, then we don't have to deal with it. And it just goes on and on and on until it festers and causes great destruction. 
You see, they told Jesus to go away because he reminded them of their sin and they didn't want to be reminded that they were sinners. Secondly, he told them, they told him to go away because he threatened their lifestyle. I, I've learned over the years that a lot of people don't want to go to hell. They just don't want Jesus to mess with their lifestyle. They, they've chosen a certain lifestyle and, and they, they'd like to add Jesus to that, but they don't want him to change it or influence it. That's a dangerous place to be. You see, when Jesus showed up and allowed those devils to go into the swine and the swine ran down the hill and drowned themselves, it affected the economy of the entire area. This is a herd of 2,000 swine. I talked to a, a man who's a part of a pork production facility. He said they have a large herd and they have 1,400. 2,000 is a massive herd of swine. And this is in Bible days. So you know this is not one man's pig herd. This is everybody's pigs up on the hill. This is the whole town. And all of a sudden their livelihood ran down the hill and in the water and drowned itself. And they said, get out of town. We don't want you here. But stop and think about it for a minute. I know we're in the area of Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a somewhat mixed population, but they're still predominantly Jews. And they're bound by the Old Testament law, the law of Moses that says they're not supposed to eat pork. They're not supposed to be around pigs and they're not supposed to touch pigs. And their whole livelihood is pig herding. Do you see a problem here? Do you also see why Jesus was willing to let the devils come out of the man and go into the pigs? It killed two birds with one stone. It solved his problem and it helped the people because they had been living in rebellion against God. Oh, and I'm sure there were a lot of excuses. Oh, we would never eat the pork because that would be against the law of Moses. But we just raised the pigs because the Romans like pork and we'll sell the pork to them. That sounds nice. Except God said, stay away from them altogether. So they were already living in rebellion against God. And they did not want him to come and mess with their lifestyle. Kind of like the Christian restaurant owner who decides to sell alcohol. Because it has a high profit margin. Oh, he would never drink it. But you can check out your Bible. The Bible doesn't just say don't drink it. It says, don't give it to others. Amen. We're down in Newport, Tennessee. They're in the Smoky Mountains. And it's uh, near Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and all of that. And the big thing down in that area, if you've been down there, many of you probably have, you've seen it. The big, big billboards everywhere. Moonshine is the big thing now. Moonshine everything. Moonshine candy. Moonshine syrup. Moonshine in little jars that you can buy and take home and have your souvenir of the Smoky Mountains. And, and you can get all kinds of it, all different flavors, all, all kinds of stuff. And if you don't sell that in your tourist shop, somebody else is going to make more money. So you know what the temptation is for saved shop owners? Well, you, you would never drink it. Just sell it. Just sell it because that's what the tourists want. That's what these people are doing. They're herding pigs and that's their whole livelihood. And Jesus comes along and allows those devils to go into the pigs. The pigs run into the sea and they said, we don't want you here. You've messed with our lifestyle. Matthew Henry said this, being loath to quit either their sins or the swine, they chose rather to abandon the Savior. 
Can you imagine? They told him to leave because he threatened their lifestyle. And then finally, they told him to leave because he forced them to make a decision. You see, just by being there, they have to decide whether they want to stay and listen to him or they want to reject him. He was forcing them to make a decision. And so what they chose to do was simply ignore the decision altogether. Just tell him to go away. I don't want to think about it today. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to reject what Jesus says and reject him. But I don't want to accept what he says and accept him either. So I'm just going to have him leave so that I don't have to think about it. Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know what it says in verse 18? He that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, you don't have to openly reject Jesus to be condemned. All you have to do is make it through life without ever trusting him as your savior. And you're already condemned. Some people think in order to be condemned, you'd have to stomp on the Bible or shake your fist in the face of God and tell him to leave you alone. No, no, no. All you have to do is make it through this life without ever admitting to him that you're a sinner and trusting him as your savior. And you're already condemned. They thought if they could just get him to go away, everything would be all right and they wouldn't have to think about it just like people today. But here's the bad news. Not to choose is to choose. It's to choose. So someday, listen, preacher, I have talked to people who said, Some, I'm going to get saved someday. I know I should. I grew up in church. I know what's right. I'm going to get right with God someday before I die. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to do all that someday. That's good. Maybe that's you today. Tell you, tell you what we can do. We'll make a deal, all right? You tell us what day you're going to die. Give us not just the month now. We need to be more specific. You give us the day and the year and all that. Can we put it on the church calendar? We'll put it on there. Old Henry's going to die, unless your name is Henry, then forget I said that. He's going to die on a certain day. And we'll put it on the church calendar. That way when it pops up on the computer, boom, there it'll be. This is the day. And, and he will come to your house that day or the day before, if you prefer, with Bible in hand. And show you how to be saved. How you just confess to God that you're a sinner and you're ready to trust Christ as Savior. He'll go through the whole plan of salvation with you and you can get saved that day. Does that sound like a good deal? No? There's a problem with that, isn't there? You know what the problem is? The problem is not only do we not know the day, you don't either. You don't even know the month or the year. Listen, it could be 10, 20 years from now. Or it could be this afternoon. All all you have to do is meet the wrong person coming down the road. That's all you have to do. And all of a sudden, it's all over. With no warning and no time for somebody to show up at your house and give you one more chance to trust Christ as Savior. This, This might be your last chance. I don't know. You may have a hundred more chances. But you don't know that, and I don't know that. That's why the Bible says now is the accepted time. Because God never promised you a tomorrow. 
and another chance. Listen, when you send Jesus away and say, I don't want to think about it, you are taking a terrible, terrible risk because when they told him to go away, look at verse 18. And when he was come into the ship, they said, Jesus, go away. And you know what he did? He got back in the boat. Don't tell him to go away because he's liable to go away. And the man who who was delivered comes and says, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, you can't come with me. But I have a job for you. I want you to go home and tell everybody what happened here today. And the Bible says he went, not only did he go home and tell everybody, he published it throughout Decapolis. He went everywhere. Can you imagine that man? We don't, we don't know much about him, but he probably had a family at some point. He had a life at some point. Can you imagine him going home and there's his wife and his children who haven't, haven't had any interaction with him in years. And, and, and he looks different and he sounds different. And, and he tells them what happened. And then he grabs them by the hand. And they proceed to head down the street telling everybody what happened. And then they go to the next town. And somebody says, aren't you that guy? And he says, yeah, I am. I, w- I was that guy. Let me tell you what happened. I promise you one day you're going to get to heaven. And you're going to meet some people who were from the area of Decapolis, who are there because this man came by and said, you need to know more about Jesus. And they made it their business to learn more about Jesus. And they accepted what he had to say. You're going to meet some people in heaven like that one day. You know what's terribly sad? There's going to be some people in hell one day who were standing there on the shore looking salvation in the eye And they said, go away. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. Just go away. And he got in the boat and he left. And I promise you there are some people from that town who are in hell right now who will be forever because they told him to go away. In just a few minutes, you're going to walk out one of these doors and you're going to head out and go home, go to lunch and whatever you have planned for the day. But you'll walk out of these doors having made a choice. Will I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior or will I reject him? Oh, I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to make that choice. I'm not ready to trust him, but I'm not ready to reject him. But Jesus said, if you haven't accepted, you're condemned already. So you'll walk out those doors having either accepted him or rejected him. And only you can make that decision. I can't choose that for you. You have to choose that. Can I just encourage you today? Don't tell him to go away. Don't do that. I can almost understand someone who's never trusted Christ and and grows up in a society like ours that's afraid of everything that the Bible has to say and all. I can understand someone being cautious. You know what I don't understand at all? is people who claim to be saved who still spend their life telling Jesus to go away. Oh, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I don't want Jesus messing with my life and telling me how to live and what to do and how to act. And How sad is that? Listen, if you're here today and you know Christ as Savior, don't keep telling him to go out of different parts of your life. You know what he wants to do? He, and let me say it this way. I know it's a, it's, a, it's a 
simplistic way to say it. He wants to mess with your life. He wants to be involved. He wants to be in every part of it and be involved in every decision and everything that you do. Don't tell him to get out of those places. Tell him to come into those places. Because you're going to walk out of here in a minute too. And if you go out of here reserving pieces of your life for yourself that you won't allow him to be part of, you're in essence telling him to go away as well. Amen. Don't do that today. Today, before you walk out of here, just decide you want Jesus in here to stay. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here this morning. Lord, thank you for your word and for the example of a man whose life was so completely destroyed by sin. And yet, you showed us that all it took to change everything was one encounter with Jesus. Just one moment where he comes face to face with Jesus and the sin problem is dealt with and his whole life is changed. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning who's never trusted Christ as Savior. They've never had that face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ where they admitted they were a sinner and they trusted Jesus as their Savior. God, if there's somebody like that, I pray that today might be the day that they would meet him in person. And Lord, for each and every saved person in this room today, God, we already know what it means to have our sins forgiven and see those chains drop off like we heard about today. Lord, don't, don't let us live like lost people pushing you out of our lives. But today, God, help us to be wise enough to welcome you in. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and glory for what you do in our midst. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around this morning. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you would say today, I know for sure there was a day in my life when I realized I was a lost sinner and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up in testimony? Praise the Lord. That is wonderful. You can put your hands down. Maybe this morning, if you were going to be honest, you'd have to say, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know if there was a day like that. I don't know if my sin problem's taken care of or not. I'm not really sure what's going to happen when I die. Would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just stick your hand up, wave it at me? Nobody's looking and I won't embarrass you. Thank you. I appreciate I see your hand. Amen. There are several. Is there anybody else? Just stick it up, wave it at me. I'll see you. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands raised here this morning. God, you see each and every heart right now. You know every thought going through every mind. Lord, there's some people here this morning who know they need to be saved. God, I pray even now you give them courage to settle that most important question in life before it's too late. We ask that you would work in our midst and we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. The instruments are going to begin to play and we're going to have what we call an invitation. All that means is you're going to be invited to act on what you heard. You've heard the truth of the word of God this morning. Some of you have said, yes, the spirit of God has spoken to my heart. Listen, if you lifted your hand and said, I, I'm not sure if I'm saved, not sure if I'm going to heaven. You see people coming down here right now. If you would just step out and come down here We'll take the Bible, show you how to be saved this morning. It'll only take a couple of minutes, but it'll be the best few minutes you ever spent. Listen, you cared enough to say, please pray for me. 
I'm not sure what's going to happen when I die. Would you let us take the word of God so you had to be saved? We'll answer your questions. Would you come as they play this song? Because pass me not, O gentle Savior. The song, in essence, says, Jesus, don't go away. Please stay. Would you come today? There are folks here praying. This is your opportunity. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady. Take the Bible. Show you how to be saved this morning. How you can know for sure heaven is your home. How you can know your sins are 